0: Welcome to The Human Beat. I'm Roger Rocca. In Clatsop County, the primary provider of mental health services is Clatsop Behavioral Healthcare. We sat down with CBH Executive Director Amy Baker to talk about the growing mental health problems in the county and across the country and what's needed to provide adequate treatments.
1: Uh, we are an organization of about uh, 100 employees. Uh, we've been in existence since 1963. Uh, we were formed because of the Community Mental Health Act, which was passed under the Kennedy administration. And the purpose of CBH was to uh, basically provide community-based services. The goal was to deinstitutionalize adults mm-hmm. um, from psychiatric institutions and to bring them back to the to the community. And so there were um, uh, community mental health programs that were formed all over the country, and CBH is one of those programs. Uh, The way the behavioral health system works in Oregon is that uh, we are a county-based system. Uh, All counties have a community mental health program. Our role is that we are the the bottom-line safety net um, and there are core functions that we all share across the entire state, um, and that includes things like interceding when somebody's in a crisis. Uh, we have a We have a mobile crisis team that goes out into the community. We work with law enforcement and our emergency departments to try to assess whether or not um, someone can be uh, safely served in the community or if they need to. You know, potentially go to some type of inpatient facility. Um, what I can tell you about community mental health programs is that uh, pretty much all of us were underfunded from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Like one of the one of the things that um, that they just they just didn't think about was that is that when you move from institutional care to community-based. Uh, there's a room and board component that didn't come with that and so most community mental health programs like most of us don't have much in terms of housing services particularly in rural areas and so uh, and and there have been various times where that's been okay if there was enough affordable housing Uh, but in this day and age where there's not nearly enough affordable Mm -hmm. housing um, uh, then it, then it, uh, it basically it just puts us in a terrible, terrible place to be able to really meet people's needs, because often what we find now is that people need, they don't have places to be.
0: If if your agency all of a sudden somehow got an unlimited supply of money, yeah, what would you do with it? What are the things that need that need fixing that you could fix with funding?
1: So the the first thing that I would do is that I would add a a plethora of housing and a plethora of different types of programs because there isn't really a one-size-fits-all, but one of the things that we really don't have in this community that we need desperately is permanent supported housing. Mm -hmm. We need housing that has services attached to it to try to help folks maintain in that housing. Um, I have never well I haven't looked for it but I haven't seen research on like how long and hard it is to get people who have been used to living outdoors to help them get used to living indoors like it's it's the it, it's a process and it takes additional support and so if you just put people in housing like some folks will be okay but a lot of folks will struggle so if I was given a whole like, you know, a whole slew of funding, I I would start there. Mm-hmm. Because it would dramatically decrease the number of folks that we see on the street who are struggling.
0: It occurs to me that if somebody is mentally ill in a way that makes them inconsistent or m- puts them in a position where it's just they're not going to hold a job. Yeah. And they don't have family. Yeah. They're going to end up on the street. Right. That's pretty much how that happens, isn't it? That's
1: pretty much how that happens, yes. So unless, so unless, we, unless we have uh, various programs that help support people to stay in the housing that they have, they do, they just they end up on the street. And one of the things that we found, and I've certainly I've been in behavioral health for like 25 years now, I think, um, when people are housed and they have supports Um, and it's like a whole plethora of supports including like peer supports people who have been where they've been who are helping to encourage them uh, yep I know how it feels I've been there this is what worked for me like when you have a whole plethora of supports actually people can work and they do work Mm -hmm. Um, but it's really hard when you don't have a place to live because your clothes are dirty um, it's hard to get up on time it's the life becomes about surviving from from day to day and not about like you know future planning or any of the things that um, uh, we take for granted when we have houses and you know all the routines that we have in order to get up and go to work every day.
0: Mm-hmm. Well you mentioned uh, earlier on you mentioned moving from a, um, institutionalization to, to the community based support and we, we've gone through a lot of Wrong turns perhaps in in terms of mental health, where we were institutionalizing people, and we yeah. you know most of us know about that through things like cuckoo's nest that yeah. you know yeah. the, the the worst side of that uh, right. probably in some cases institutionalization worked, yeah I would guess for some people and 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 now now we don 't have that, and what we have is is you attempting to do what you 're doing in the community with not enough support or
1: right. or money.
0: What do we need to do? Where, where can we go to actually have a functional system of mental health support for people?
1: Yeah. So. So this is a really big question. Yeah. And it's and it's a really big question in part because like one of the things that we've learned over the past thirty years is that, um, like mental wellness is equally important to physical wellness and in fact they're intrinsically linked mm-hmm. and and so there's this there's this uh, you know I think Maslow's hierarchy Maslow like figured this out the best in terms of like the basic needs about like food and shelter mm-hmm. so um so we have like a whole subset of uh, population who are struggling to, get, to basically get their basic needs met. Right. And until we have a, a system that basically helps take care of those basic needs, it's hard to focus on the upper side of the pyramid. But once you have those needs met, then you've got this whole other, you have this whole other group of folks who are, um, I mean I, I would say like one of the, the commonalities that we all have as human beings is we all want to be happy right and and this past year and a half through the pandemic, I think it has become like really clear how fragile our mental health really is and that you take away the you take away the, um, the environmental context in which Promotes our mental well-being, and you you figure out, oh wow, in the absence of um, human contact, and family and friends, and the support of a community, and uh, a job that provides meaning and purpose, and like all these different little things um, that contribute to all of our mental well-being. Um, to me, what's fascinating is that this conversation about mental wellness is not for some people, it's for everyone. And and for a lot of us, we take it for granted because we've like slowly put all of these things together, but when you start to pull them away, you realize, wow, it's really not that hard for me to become depressed or anxious or any of those other things. And I, I don't know how many times over the past year and a half, like I looked around, I'm like, wow, We've all got, at the very, you know, best case scenario, low, gate, low grade depression going on, mm-hmm. um, and I and I think what's important about that is that if we don't take for granted our mental well being, then it means that as a community we can start focusing on the things that are gonna, that are going to improve mental well being for everybody, mm-hmm. and and for the, the, you know, the, the most visible amongst us who are struggling with their mental well-being, we have to start with the Maslow's basic needs.
0: Right.
1: Like we just have to start there. If that's not there, um, then some of our community members are just not gonna do well and they're not gonna be able to contribute and work and I mean, I think that's what we all want for our community is we want, it, you know, we want everyone to be able to chip in as much as they can.
0: Yeah. And that takes us back to your basic point about housing. Right. Having to have housing.
1: And you can't chip in and you can't give back if you don't have housing.
0: Well, we've learned recently that you know people who have been stable and mentally healthy, can get pushed over by uh, the fires that we've been having. Yeah. People who've had, had neuroescape from those fires often come away with PTSD, yes. and they have trouble functioning. Yes. And It occurs to me that someone who becomes homeless, all of a sudden, all those support systems that you just talked about, the community, the family, the, they're all gone all of a sudden. Right. And on top of that, you either become invisible or actually shunned yeah when people are uncomfortable around homeless people right and there is fear yeah a homeless person may not do anything to provoke fear and yet there's fear of this right person right what does it feel like to be on the receiving end of that
1: not not good I mean nobody wants to be invisible mm-hmm. and I think I, I do think there's fear I mean I think there 's fear, but there's also there's also guilt mm. like it just it you know feels bad to have all the things the family, the house, the car, and to see somebody who doesn't have any of that mm. and I, the thing that 's like to me that 's like super interesting about communities and society is that um, is that there has to be there has to be enough there that people buy into it. Like we buy into the, to the common rules that we set for each other like you stop at stop signs and you uh, wait in line and you, you know, what, whatever, all those little things that we do on a day-to-day basis that kind of define who we are as a culture and as a community, if you don't have anything to lose, then you're less likely to buy into that system and the piece that scares me a little bit for Oregon right now is because our, our housing situation has become so dire across the entire state, is that we're creating a larger community of folks who don't have anything to lose. And that's not good for any of us, right? Like there's a, there's a tipping point in there somewhere. And I think uh, for sure Portland is experiencing that right now where there's like so many people who are living on the streets now um, right. That it's it's uh, that it's impacted the quality of life for everybody.
0: Right. Some people have the mindset that um, if a person is is homeless, if they would just get their act together mm-hmm. and work hard, then they wouldn't have to be homeless anymore. What you're suggesting, I think, is that without those basic needs being being met how, how do you do that If the real way to fix that is to, is to provide those basic needs so that a person can then right. work and be productive and do those things that, that we all want
1: Correct and not only that but what I've heard from certainly from Alan and with Helping Hands and others is that in fact a lot of folks are are working and they still can't afford housing. Like we have, we have individuals who are, um, they're on uh, SSDI, so social security, because of a disability, because of their mental illness. Like you are diagnosed with schizophrenia mm-hmm. at age 18 and, and one of the, the um, government safety net functions is to provide a basic income. Well, if that income is around $800, $900 per month and rent is eight hundred dollars per month okay. then how do you make how do you make that math work and so it's 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 the 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 pull yourself up by your bootstraps thing worked a whole lot better uh, when you know the the baseline rent wasn't well above what the baseline uh, per hour wage is
0: I think too. I, you know I asked you earlier if if you all of a sudden had an unlimited amount of money for the agency, what would you do? But I think you're suggesting that it's not it's not something that the agency alone can do. Correct. That it's something that we as a community yep. need to do. So what do, what do we need to do? What do, what do those of us who live here and those of us who govern here and so on, what do we need to do to actually, actually make a difference in this?
1: I if if I so I agree with you like the you know the last thing we want is like you know this enormous mental health organization that like takes care of everybody because the reality is um I I can, I I can help people and we do but like people who are struggling need relationships beyond just their local mental health agency like they need to be included and embraced into the community so that they can, you know, be productive and uh, become the best that they can be. And so so that includes things like supporting um, supporting housing, multi unit housing projects, like not not uh, advocating so that so that uh, the limited land that we have, we can house people with that land. It includes having employers take chances on people who have mental health backgrounds and employing them and working with us to help support them in those positions. Um, it means, you know, getting to know somebody who, has, uh, who may have schizophrenia and developing a relationship with them. It includes, um, It includes having conversations. With your family members about like what it means and and not and not stigmatizing stigmatizing it when somebody's like struggling with depression or anxiety or that sort of thing uh, I think this I think the next generation of uh, young people coming up are way better at talking about it than you know my generation or your generation like. We're, we're terrible at that. Mm-hmm. We, we, don't want, we don't want to have those conversations and I'm including myself in that and I'm the mental health director. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so I'm so encouraged by um, how willing uh, my partner's, uh, kids' generation is about how they talk to each other about it and how supportive they are towards each other. Like I, I find that to be very hopeful.
0: Well, we've been talking about sort of the 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 broader issues. let's bring it back if we can to um, classic behavioral girl healthcare yeah um, how where does your funding come from
1: so we are um, we are state and federally funded mm-hmm. primarily um, uh probably about seventy percent of our funding comes from Medicaid, which is a, a, a federal entitlement, and then probably like another 15 to 20 percent comes from state general fund, and then 10 uh, percent on top of that is like uh, private insurance commercial type funding.
0: Well, how does your funding level set? Where does that come from? Who, who decides how much
1: yeah. you're going to get? That's a really good question. Um, we are, <laughs> it's a really good question. I think most of our funding is determined based on like what our historical use has been. Mm-hmm. And there have been, there have been increases over the years to do like special projects. Uh, we received additional funding a few years back for, for you know, new programs that we started. Um, but, but there's never really been any kind of process around like here's what we think the need is and here's what it would cost to actually meet that need. Mm. That's never happened in Oregon. It's always been the, we're gonna fund you as little as we can, and if we want something new that we can all agree upon, then we'll give you funding for that, but we won't, we won't do it based on what your, your actual costs are and what the actual community need is.
0: So we're treating the illness, or treating the disease, or fixing the cut, or putting on the bandage, but we're not doing the things that would prevent the damage in the first place. Correct. Or they'll cut it off.
1: There is is very little funding that goes into prevention. Hmm. Um, Almost none. Our entire healthcare system is based on a, it's a disease-based model. We wait until there's an illness, and then we provide treatment for that.
0: Do you think the perception that people have that there is uh, more at least more visible mental illness in a community or more people on the street than there used to be? is that do you think that's pretty accurate?
1: I think that is a I think it's a hundred percent true that there's more people on the street than there used to be. Um, I, I would say that's actually uh, I've only been in Clatsop County for five years, but uh, when i when I worked at Cascadia in Portland. Um, there were far fewer people on the street than when I was there. And it's not like it wasn't an issue trying to find people housing, uh, but it wasn't, to the, it wasn't to the level that it is now. Um, and I think, I think that there's a couple of things that happen. One is the, w- when you have a really tight housing market, meaning there's a greater demand then there is supply, the first people who get pushed out are people who have mental health problems, mm-hmm. right? They're not the, they're not the, they're not the, the people who would, landlords would want, typically want to rent to mm-hmm. first. Um, there's also the, with mental health issues, there's also like, it's a, it's a cyclical disease, meaning people stabilize, they do really well for a while something happens maybe a death in the family a loss of a job something to that effect and then um, sort of go through a cycle we work with folks they become you know more stable they do really well for a while it's not a you fix it and then it's fixed forever right like that's just not how it works and then the third thing I would say that's really been a new phenomena within the last maybe seven to eight years is the methamphetamine that is coming out of mexico now is uh, different than what it looked like 20 years ago it's strikingly more pure Um, it has really negative effects on people's uh, brains and cognition way more quickly than it used to and there are a lot of folks who look very psychotic um, uh, and it's and it's sometimes hard to tell if that's what's going on or if it's just the purity of the meth that they're using, mm-hmm. uh, and that is like from a, a mental health director standpoint, like that's really scary because it it creates what looks like um, like we've got this plethora of folks with schizophrenia um, uh, when in fact they're using a substance that's it's made you know nowadays it's made out of racing fuel and all kinds of chemicals that were never meant to be uh, introduced to the human brain. Yeah.
0: A lot of people, when they see people, homeless people on the street, tend to put them in boxes like uh, they're all a bunch of addicts or they're all mentally ill or they're all uh, alcoholics or so on. What does that look like from your perspective? What, what would you say about that?
1: i would say i I would say that that vulnerable folks are more likely to become homeless now in Oregon mm-hmm. uh, now than than ever before uh, because uh, often because income doesn 't match the cost of housing um, I would also say that there are uh, plenty of people who are homeless who are not mentally ill and who are not addicted to substances um, they were you know, one medical bill away from losing their housing, one car repairment, uh, you know, people when you have to choose between your housing and your car, and your car is what gets you to your job, Mm -hmm. um, sometimes people choose the car because they can at least live in their car. Um, And so there's a whole whole cadre of folks who fit into that category. Uh, I would say the ones who tend to be chronically homeless uh, are probably more likely to have mental health issues or substance abuse issues.
0: Do you think there's any credence to the belief some people have that people are homeless because they want to be?
1: I I would say that is true for some folks, but it's a pretty small percentage, maybe yeah. 10%, 20% yeah. at most. Yeah. Yeah, most people don't don't want to be homeless. It is finding the right housing option for them based on where they're at in that moment. Um, I've heard this, you know, I've heard this repeatedly that part of the reason why folks use methamphetamine is because it helps them stay awake at night so they're not like overly cold or so that they don't get harmed in any way. Mm -hmm. And, And when you start working with folks who are homeless, Um, it really the plan for the has to be individualized to what you know what they can do what they feel like they can tolerate in that moment Um, uh, a lot of folks the shelter system that we have right now is not really gonna work for them Uh, maybe they have they have a lot of uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and so staying in a dormitory style shelter is like too too scary when you like constantly hear noises Sure. and so, so the more options that we have to help people get off the street, I think the better we are going to be at, at being able to do that.
0: Being able to treat someone and make progress when they still have to go back and live on the street, it's, in in that fearful situation, and particularly for a woman yeah. living on the street, it's right. got to be it's got to be doubly difficult. It, it just seems so hard to to make any progress in that circumstance which brings us back to your first <laughs> point about
1: housing i would build housing i mean i might have answered this question differently like 10 years ago but 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 the situation in oregon with the cost of housing as it is i can't do i can't do any like higher level problem solving um, you know, work through whatever tra- traumatic experiences you've had in your life. I can't work through any of that until you have your basic needs met. Because you are perpetually going to be in this fight or flight. You know, it's, you're all amygdala. You're no prefrontal cortex. Your prefrontal mm-hmm. cortex is... Um, it's, it's uh, when you're perpetually in a, a survival mode, it's hard to access that part of your executive functioning.
0: Sure, I'm homeless, you're talking to me, and you're, you're, you're trying to help me, but I'm thinking about what, what am I gonna eat? Yep. Am I gonna get something to eat today? Where am I gonna stay tonight out of the weather? Yep. Um, what about these other people who are trying to take my stuff? Yep. Uh, you know, all of those things. Um, kind of hard to get through in in that kind of circumstance
1: a hundred percent yeah a hundred percent
0: we've been discussing mental health treatment with amy baker who heads clatsop county's primary service provider clatsop behavioral health care this is the human beat i'm roger rocca thanks for listening